We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome program. First, my co-host, Greg Hanna of Toss C3. Greg, what's going on, man? I know you're excited about our guest. And, you know, you were a football fan. Just to remind how entrepreneurs grind, you were watching football. When was football the big thing for you, Greg? What years? Because you told me you stopped watching football, even though you're in that Boston, New England area, which I don't want to talk about the Patriots. (laughs) Tell me about that. Yeah. Oh man, I love football. I remember as a kid, I would get with my dad and he would hang out on the couch on Sundays. And I was just six years old, five years old, seven. I I remember laying on his tummy watching football on Sundays. It was awesome. I'm super excited to talk to Emerson today, too, by the way. Absolutely. So, Greg, just one other question. So, what football team's your favorite football team when you were watching all the time? It had to be the New England Patriots. Oh, we okay. So, so you missed all the greatness. You just dealt with Steve Grogan and some of the exciting things. If, if I'm dating you and different things like that, <laughs> dealing with Super Bowl losses like the Bears. Well, my guest today, hey, he wore a Steeler uniform, so I always will always be a Steeler fan. And Broncos are my two teams. Uh, I'm excited to welcome him, Emerson Martin. How are you, Emerson? Thanks for stopping by. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Glad to be present. Glad to be here and hopefully talk a little football, talk a little after football life. And yeah. Just talk about what. We're going to talk about life. Go ahead, Greg, with our first question for Emerson. Well, hey, Emerson. Man, it's great to meet you. Um, you know, t- tell us, tell us, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like growing up? So I grew up in a little town called Elizabethtown. Uh, we're kind of like a blueberry capital, so there's a lot of blueberries there. So we pick blueberries during the summer, crop tobacco during the summer. Um, just a country boy. We owned a little bit. Uh, we raised hogs, we raised cattle, we raised chicken. So we ate at our, off our own land. We, uh, we kind of just did what country folk do. Wow, and that's interesting. And so in that process of growing up in that, did you feel because you're in the country and stuff like that, you learned to work at work ethic early in life compared to community in the city? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Work ethic was something that you did. You got up, you had your chores, you had your different things to do. And so we worked hard and we played hard. And I, I like to think that's part of my development, you know, from a young child when you, you bells of hay or you carrying bags of feed or doing different things around the, around the house to, kind of get things in order it's developmental uh you know that develops your strength by the time i started lifting weights i was stronger than i knew i was uh, playing with my neighbors and stuff running in the dirt and doing things like that uh, i was a big guy but everybody else was smaller you weren't going to get left behind so all of the things that trained you to be to have the skill set to do what i did later Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, hey, before I ask you my next question about the NFL, what was your one max bench press max? What was it? Uh, so I don't really know what my max actually was. Uh, when I was in college my junior year, I maxed 475. Wow. And I never, uh, when I was in the league at one time, I was doing uh, four sets of 10 with 405 uh, as ma- maintenance and just doing reps. At that point in time, the max is not important. You just do things, you work out, you get stronger. You really don't really do a max. You're just always trying to be better at your craft. You know, Fantastic. It's, 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 uh, it's interesting, and I love that question, Greg, because my max was 400. I'm a former professional wrestler, so I uh, understand exactly that. And that was not the big thing. It's about strength in football, Emerson. It's about – it's not like, you know, when you're these bodybuilders, you see these college kids, they're trying to get these – Big Max, the NFL is all about you got to it's stay the course, right? Because the season's so long compared to college and high school. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's always about uh, endurance. The NFL is more about endurance, not a one-time max. So that's why you have the 225 test. How many times can you do it? It's about enduring your strength throughout a game or throughout a day so that you're not just a one-time wonder. That's awesome. That's a great answer. Thank you. Did, hey, did you always want to be an NFL player growing up? 
That's a funny question because <laughs> at the time, the NFL was not then what it is now. Right. Uh, so hear about it. It wasn't like career goals. It wasn't all the hype. Um, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you really didn't hear guys in the NFL, like you think about uh, the receiver Lawson that played with uh, Seattle, who's a Hall of Famer. He would sell shoes and all. So it wasn't the glitz and glamour in the NFL. Um, really, growing up, my dad had a motto, and this is what I live by. This is what my children have lived by. You be the best at it or you don't do it at all. So you don't do something half half as people would say. You do it with the best. You do it with your everything. You put your heart in it. I never thought that I would go to the NFL because coming out of high school, I had opportunities to go to Carolina, NC State, some of the biggest schools. And I ended up going to a Division II school. It wasn't to play football, but the best education I thought I could get. There was familiarity with it. My dad, we would go there every summer and visit because my dad was a minister and they had a minister's conference. And uh, after my 10th grade year, met one of the coaches there. He kept in touch with us throughout those years. And so when it was time to go to college, we thought that would be the best place to go. And therefore, that's what we did. And so I'm an HBCU product. And to go there and to accomplish the things that I did, I, I'm very excited. And I would do it the same way if I had to do it again. Interesting to talk about that and talk about specifically that journey for sure. And it's, uh, it's something that you don't expect. And you say to yourself, okay, what am I doing? My journey and all those things and playing in D2, how many players from your college end up playing in the NFL? A lot? Or is we, not? Had, we had quite a few guys um, during that era because during that time in the early 90s, uh, late 80s, a lot of HBCUs were still getting recruited highly. Um, that was before you got the Power Fives and all those rankings and your know, big TV contracts and all these exceptions in the power five schools now. Yeah, then it was just, they were looking for athletes and they would come anywhere and find them. Uh, so we had guys like Johnny Barnes, um, uh, Steve Brandon, Chris Williams, uh, Jason Jones. Uh, we had another guy, Cornelius, I can't remember his last name, but he, he went to, he was drafted in the second round. Uh, Terrence Warren, fifth round, went to Seahawks. And so for HBCU, for me to be able to call those names out, that's pretty, that's kind of stellar for HBCU. Absolutely. Oh, it's phenomenal. When did you know you could play in the NFL? And what was it like for you, you know, as a young man, college age, you know, having that opportunity? Well, I think uh, so that the Philadelphia East, uh, Philadelphia Eagles called me my junior year and asked me if I was coming out early. I was a Kodak All-American and I was highly recruited. And because my dad was an older guy, I promised my dad I would graduate, so I didn't come out. I think that was when I realized that I was a prospect. Um, the crazy thing is I didn't come out with it because they, they drafted a guy from Jackson State that was the same size, same height, same build as I was. And they drafted him in the first round. I believe uh, I went back to my room and I probably cried all day because I didn't come out. And uh, it's crazy because when you come out, when your stock is high, you come out early, you get drafted early. But when you stay another year, then I had so many scouts come and see you. It's, it's no longer what he has the potential to do. It's, well, he doesn't do this as great as we thought. He doesn't do that as great as we thought. And so I fell. I fell as opposed to being a first round draft pick. I actually fell and then Kansas City brought me in as a free agent, but they paid me more than the fifth round draft pick because that's where they had me. Uh, that's where they had me suspected to go was in the fifth round. So I was grateful for that going to Kansas City. Wow. Great. Hey, just a quick follow up. You know, I, I know parents and dad and all. Do, do you regret not coming out early? Absolutely. Absolutely. I regret not coming out early because my father ended up passing away before I went in the draft. Had I come out early, I think my father would have gotten a chance, an opportunity to see me play. The one thing that he didn't get an opportunity to see me play on a big screen. 
Um, he saw me play in college. He was very, he was always, but I mean, he passed away at 81. He married a young wife. And so my wife, my mom, my dad was born in 1912. My mom was born in 1938. And so he got a young wife and, and, uh, and he saw us all get through, all of us graduated high school before he passed away. So for that, but um, just wish that he could have seen me. That's got, that's, and it's that these things happen uh, for sure. And uh, the, the process of take us to draft day. How did that feel? Uh, draft day for me was we were around the um it was me and my mom my dad had just passed like i said it passed in january so i didn't you know it wasn't a big sitting just us sitting around waiting for a phone call um it's not like it is today so we were just sitting around the house waiting for a phone call people called uh early before the draft was over uh thought people were going to take you they didn't take you and so, you know, it was just a lot of back and forth trying to figure out when we were going to go, what were we were going to do, stuff like that. All right. Cool. All right. Great. Next question. Yeah. You know, what's your fondest memories playing college football? Wow. And, and a quick question also, were you a guard in college also? So I played guard in college, but I actually played all five. So I've always played tackle. Uh, guard in a little center and so um college was just so when I was in college we had what we would call they call us the fab five so we had we had five offensive linemen all of us were all conference and so um just playing with them uh being around them every day uh we still are friends today uh and and just having that brotherhood that we have that we share and, and just, matter of fact, Jason Jones reached out to me this morning and was asking me, how was I doing? What was going on? And, uh, you know, he was the opposite guard. He was my roommate. And so, man, it's just memories, memories of a brotherhood, memories of working out, having some of the greatest games and just playing for the love of the game. I think that's the biggest thing, playing for the love of the game playing for people that you knew and classmates, not being a business, but just being a game, being able to enjoy your friends. Mm, that, that's huge. The, that's such an important part of it, enjoying the game and friends and, and the, the, the atmosphere of college football, for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Greg, next question. Good. Well, go ahead, Greg. Greg, are you there? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. No worries. Um, yeah, no problem at all. Um, how about an NFL favorite memory? Favorite memory in the NFL, I grew up a Steelers fan. We had a Monday night game in Kansas City. Terry Bradshaw came in and he uh, he interviewed that Friday to set up everything for the Monday night game. I went to the airport to pick up my mom. And at that time, you could walk back in the airport. And so I walk in and I walk past the bar and Terry Bradshaw is sitting there. He's like, hey, didn't I see you at the facility today? And I'm like, yeah. We actually sat down and we talked for about an hour. And to grow up in the 70s, and, and see Terry Bradshaw as one of those iconic guys, uh, untouchable guys, and to sit down and have a conversation for about an hour and just talk as people. And he treated me like I was his, his, his equal, his peer, or somebody that played with him. We talked about the game. We talked about life. We talked about so many things, and it was just, it was an incredible experience for me to be able to talk to that guy, Terry Bradshaw, uh, unfiltered and just sit down with him and just talk. It was amazing. That That's is wonderful. Yeah. What, what team would you say, Emerson, because you played for a bunch of different teams, do you kind of hang your hat with and say it's your team? I say the Steelers are my team. Um, I played with the Chiefs 
which was amazing because I played with Joe Montana and Marcus Allen the first time in minicamp. I remember they asked me to snap the ball and I go and I break the Joe Montana puts his hands on me and I was like, I can't fuck this up. <laughs> and so that was that was amazing. And then uh, getting drafted in the in the supplement draft and being able to come home and play in North Carolina in front of my people. And uh, it's crazy because Donnie Shell was in the front office in Carolina and Donnie Shell instrumental in me becoming a stiller. And so about midway through the season in Carolina, Donnie pushed me to the Steelers. And uh, that was the greatest because we were 0-7 at Carolina. And then the next thing I know, I'm in the Super Bowl with Pittsburgh. So that was amazing. So you were in the Super Bowl with Pittsburgh. Uh, that's a great uh, uh, question I'll, I'll follow up later with. Go ahead. Uh, uh, <laughs> talk about it. Because, again, Wikipedia doesn't always add those things. You know what I mean? I didn't see that in there. For sure. All right. Go ahead. That's Rick. exciting. You know, life after football. Did you uh, have a plan? Life after football. Didn't really have a plan. Uh, had a purpose, though. Had a purpose. My, my biggest thing is I'm the father of five. I have five boys. Um, my oldest son plays you. Uh, one of my sons just graduated from the academy from the Army. Oh. Um, his twin is in UNC Charlotte, still in school. Uh, I have a D lineman that's at Howard University, he's about 65, 290. And then I have a kid that just graduated, he's about 6'6, 225, and has decided that he's not going to play football because we're a football family. And so I applaud a lot of courage to walk away from when he had gotten so many offers, but he just decided that wasn't what he wanted to do. Um, so I've always invested in my kids and other kids. Um, I, I would think that one of the biggest accomplishments that I had was we used to run a company called Players to Pros. It was started by my wife and my oldest son. Uh, my oldest son, we adopted him. And his thing was, what you gave me I think we should give to other people. So in our first year, we had 29 kids go to college. The second year, we had 36. The third year, we had over 60-something kids go to college. Um, and then a guy that recruited me when I was in high school by the name of Matt, who's now back at UNC, told me to get out of that and to go back coaching. So then I went to Indianapolis two years and did the NFL internship with Frank Wright. And then I started coaching at a little college called Juniata College in, in Huntington, Pennsylvania. And, uh, and then I came home. I came home. My mom is now 84, so I want to spend time with her. Um, but I would say my purpose has been mentoring. So I really mentored a lot of kids throughout the years, coaching kids and, and now seeing some of those kids get drafted, which is, which is pretty nice. I had a kid. Got drafted a couple of years ago and went to the Tennessee Titans. Um, and his name is uh, Pharrell Murkison. And then uh, this this year, Jonathan Kingsley signed with the Buffalo Bills. And we have a couple other guys that are still playing. They're getting their degrees. They're becoming great fathers. And and they're, they're great citizens in, in the world today, doing great things. And so I've been privileged to mentor and pass those things on got a degree in mathematics, so I've done some tutoring, different things like that. And life has really been good for me and my family. Um, and we just learned to give back. Excellent. That's such great information to hear about, Greg. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit, uh, Emerson, about specifically enough the Super Bowl. I didn't know you played in the Super Bowl. Which Super Bowl did you play in? So I was in Super Bowl 30 when we lost to uh, – uh, Barry Swiss, I think it was. Uh, oh, and Dallas Cowboys. I remember that game. I was in so, the as a pro wrestler, watched it. You know, the headbangers who are WWE tag team champions were in the locker room. Me, they're cowboy fans, and they let me have it. Brian Christopher, the late Brian Christopher, it was in WWE. He's like telling me he was heartbroken for the loss of the Steelers. But there's no way the Steelers win. And Brian's like, there's a chance we can take it. And that was a crazy game, wasn't it? And, and almost the biggest upset happened beating the Cowboys. I don't, I don't know if it would have been an upset beating the Cowboys, um, but we were the better team. 
We were the better team. You couldn't have picked the worst day for Neil O'Donnell to have his worst game. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's crazy because I often tell a lot of people that if Neil O'Donnell didn't throw those two interceptions to Ryan Brown, if you ever get a chance to go back and look at the film, uh, Corey Holiday breaks his route out and he goes on the fly and Neil O'Donnell throws like the check down. But Corey Holiday is running down the sideline with his hands up. If if he throws two passes to Corey Holiday, Corey Holiday is probably the is probably the MVP of the game. And if you look at it, you see those two incidents. Um, that hurt. That hurt because you you don't get a chance to get there. And then when you do get there, you lose like that. Uh, we our defense was outstanding that game. Uh, I think Emmitt Smith rushed for like 49 yards and he had two carries that have, that were for 36 yards. So he had two carries that was for 36 yards. That tells you the rest of the game he was shut down. Bam Morris was probably the best running back in the game that day. Um, and it's just, it hurts. It sucks that you didn't win when you should have, when you did everything to do to get there and, Bill Cow was a heck, a heck of a coach. Um, he did everything to get us there. He knew how to motivate his guys and he knew what his guys was capable of. Dick LeBeau was great. I had Kent Steven as an O-line coach. Just an old guy that was, we did things the old way. We played the right way. And uh, to not win that game, that hurt. See, that's what everyone says, Drake. In Super Bowls, they say that hey, that was the big missing thing and they lose them because some people don't even get to play in a Super Bowl. And Emerson definitely did. And I'll have to see if I missed that on Wikipedia. I don't think it says you were in a Super Bowl. So that's the thing that anybody that has that opportunity, they played in a Super Bowl, that's an impressive thing because it's not easy. Nah. Your whole NFL career even to be in a Super Bowl, and especially in your career and all that stuff. Um, Emerson, what are you currently doing? What uh, Do you have a business right now? What's going on with you? What's new with you now? Still coach a little bit. Um, still mentoring kids, um, still doing those things. Um, I'm more active in mentoring, not really doing a whole lot because, like I said, I just resigned from Geniata College and came home. Um, so just trying to figure out next steps. Um, would love to be in the XFL and USFL. I've had some conversations about that. And so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens because two, two of my colleagues are now head coaches. Rob Woodson has got the Las Vegas team, and then oh, wow. Wars has got it. So, um, just talking to some vets, and people are talking and trying to get me to possibly do it again. And so, if I get those opportunities, I will. But right now, it's just spending time with family and catching up. That's that's the coaching life, isn't it, Emerson? Where you have a, a break from coaching, waiting for the next opportunity, and then you never know where you're going next with your family, right? <laughs> Uh, all right, great. Best place people can connect with you is LinkedIn. Would you say Emerson or where else are you? I would say LinkedIn. Um, I would say I do a little bit on Facebook, not a whole lot. Um, my wife is more active on Facebook than I am. But LinkedIn is probably to get in touch with me. Pretty open. We pretty much talk to anybody. Um, but that's probably the best way to access me. All right, fantastic. We appreciate it, Emerson. Best of luck and let's hope. You get an, an XFL job or USFL job and continue to do what you love is mentoring kids and adults to teach them football and understand things and the game of life because it truly you do that is understand the game of life. So thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks Thank again, Greg, you know. for co-host with me. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And you know what? When you talk about my guest today, uh, I talk about how important to prepare for retirement and it's such, such an important thing and you should start thinking about it today. You shouldn't be thinking about it at 60 when there's a year to go or different things. Start thinking about it in your fifties, maybe even your forties. My guest today is going to teach us how to retire and not die. And that's the title of his book, Gary Serac. Gary, thanks for stopping by. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you today about this book because Ultimately, at the end of the day, if people are not preparing for when they're ready to finally hang up their boots or their 
or their gloves or their or their teaching and leave it's over right in a lot of ways meaning they don't they're really not preparing for there's a lot more time in their life to live than just their career oh totally <clears throat> and neil you hit it 100 percent on the head they don't seem to think there's anything important except money and that is about that important and then it's not that important because then it's the rest of their life and they keep thinking the money's the big deal but it isn't it's it's how do you spend seven days a week for the next 25 years of your life? And virtually no one thinks about that until they get there and they say, oh my God, what do I do now? And Gary, what I like about what you do and your model, because I know you so well working with you and learning more about reading your book and understanding things is the fact is you take this same mindset today, even before you will fully retire that you look at those experiences, you look at those spe special moments, and you understand that money is important, but it's not the most important thing in your life. It's something you need money to have the tools to do the fun things, but yet you have to think about other things as well. Isn't that correct? And that's part of what the book talks about. A hundred percent. You know, I, I focus, it's funny, Neil, I, I have this thing called a wish list, which is comparable to the bucket list from the movie. Um, with Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. And I like wish lists because wish is positive, bucket not so positive. But anyway, I've been writing things on my wish list for, for probably 25, 30 years. I wish to did this, wish I would do that. Too busy working to do those. Then you get to the point where you're, you're freed up and you have the time. And then I, I actually just check off boxes. I say, okay, I'm going to get this accomplished. I'm going to do this. Now, some of the stuff I wrote down, obviously isn't going to happen. You know, I, that's, those were too many years ago. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Idle dreams, but uh, not reality today, but having the money to do things is important, but doing the things is probably more important. I mean, you got to have both, but if someone said, what's the most important thing about retirement? I said, figuring out your plan. Figuring out your plan and see, this is what your, your expertise is, is planning for people's retirements. And that's where you learned a lot why you wrote this book right? Because you saw the experiences talking to your clients, your father talking to clients and learned exactly what people are lacking when you meet with them on a daily basis that they're not looking at once they're looking at how much money I'm going to have saved, not my plans. Totally. And so Neil, one of the big things that I get into is purpose and passion. You know, the title of the book, the three P's, that will keep you young, purpose, passion, and a plan. And when I ask people about their purpose, you know, they're kind of confused. And then I talk to them about their passion and they're equally confused and, and they almost never have a plan. So when we start talking about retirement, they come in, they want to talk money. I said, that's great. Let's talk money. But before we get into the money too deep, let's talk about, tell me what your first day of retirement looks like, your first week, your first month, your first year. And it's almost always deer in headlight look. I mean, they they don't have an answer, Neil. Now that's not a hundred percent, but it's probably ninety five percent. Yeah, that's so true. Because what it what it does is that that they're they're thinking about they have some sort of plan. They want to do stuff. Oh yeah, I'll spend time with my grandkids, right? Or I'll do this. I'll do that. But it's not laid out in your book. You teach that it needs to be laid out. You have to have it that plan. And what age do you think that plan should start? <laughs> my sense is I, I've been creating my plan for 30 years. I mean, really, and, and part of it is what I'm doing right now. I, I like writing books. I like, I was an English major, you know, closet English major, went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. And I always thought writing would be fun. I never thought I would really write books. I've written three. I kind of have the fourth one brewing in my head. We'll see. But uh but the whole idea of writing books and expressing myself is, is part of my pre-retirement plan, post-retirement plan. I fully intend to keep doing this, Neil. It's enjoyable. And I feel like I'm helping people, reaching people. So yeah, I think you start whenever something really strikes you and say, whoa, that's something that I'm passionate about. That's something that I really want to do. And that's what you see. You see that people care about when you provide great information, you see it on your social media platforms, especially Facebook and your Facebook group community, that people are intrigued on what you're doing. They're intrigued how you're living the life you live. And you're not living the, the, the extravagant where you know you have the seven sports cars or different things. You're enjoying life. And in the book, it talks about that. Enjoy yeah. life. 
don't just be, you know, in this miserable mood that, okay, I'm waiting till I'm going to die. You got to live life and thrive. And that's part of, I see maybe down the line for you, that motivational next step, because you can motivate people, not just for retirement, but for life in general at any age. Well, and, and I feel like I've been blessed, Neil, is, is a way to put it, because I've been able to experience so many other things in the world with my clients. I've been able to kind of live through them in their own way. And I see their experiences, the ones that work, the ones that don't work, the ones that have no plan and the train wreck that becomes and the ones who have a plan. And it becomes pretty obvious that if you do this properly, you can have great a great retirement. I mean, it's we were talking yesterday, my nephew and I, Jeff, and he works with me, and we were talking about experiences and how important experiences are compared to how important money is. And we both said, you know, when it gets to the final final straw, whenever that is, the experiences are going to be way more important than how much you got in your bank. Exactly. And because that's something you get to live with and do. And so, you know, I had a friend of mine, he's taking his 99-year-old dad to Greece for his last trip. And he said, Gary, I'm going over there. And John said, you know, I'm leaving in about a week. And my dad really wants to go see family. And he said, it's going to be his last trip. He said, he's got prostate cancer, all kinds of stuff. And he's 99. And I said, so he said, Gary, the experience of this will be so cool because he's going to be saying goodbye to all his family. And I got to be there and kind of absorb all that. See, that's, that's the experience. That's what comes with planning. And you talked about part of the three P's is planning. It's hard, Gary, for people to plan they do, they're living for today or they're focusing on the past. How can we plan for today and tomorrow in the best way? I remember part of your book, you talked about it, but giving right off the cuff, how can we plan for today and plan for tomorrow at the same time? Well, it kind of goes back to that whole wish list thing. I wish what I was doing this, but I'm working. And, and really it starts there. And it's, you know, what do you wish you were doing? What would have an impact on you? What would be something that you just really want to experience? Um, and I've had so many of them in the last year. I, I had wanted to go to Savannah and Charleston for so long, I can't tell you. And finally, Breeze Airways had this special price. And I said, well, that's crazy. Let's just do that. It was like a hundred bucks or something. So we flew in and spent a whole week doing something I've wanted to do for like 20 years. And, and I, it wasn't expensive. We stayed in a nice place. It wasn't the Ritz, but it was cool. And more importantly, I got to do all this great historical sightseeing that I really like to do. To me, and that was on my list 20 years ago. So I, I look and I say, okay, you know, there's a, a rock band that I like. And, and I, I will tell you a few years ago, the Talking Heads, uh, David Byrne, he was doing a show and it was American Utopia. And we saw it in Cleveland and it was a great show. It was incredible, actually. And I told Linda, I said, you know, I'd like to see that show again. And she said, okay. So we went and checked out everything. The only one that was reasonable was in Broadway in New York City. So we flew in to New York for a weekend, went to that show and saw it again. And it was as good as the first time. And I walked out of there and said, that was a really great experience. So it wasn't expensive. It was just something that I really wanted to do. I think those are the things, Neil. You look for stuff that really is important to you. You know, if it's hiking a mountain or traveling to California, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. So why do we forget about that once we get a job and have a family? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why do we uh we get uh, life gets in the way of life how's that right. <laughs> that's why you know stuff happens they say oh yeah and then they kind of forget about it and yeah one of my friends uh retired and i asked him what he's going to do he said you know gary when i was a kid i loved to fish with my dad and my grandfather i said yeah he said i said well when's the last time you fished he said mm, 40 years ago and i said oh he said you know what i'm doing i said no i have no clue he said i'm buying a boat not a big one, but I'm buying a rowboat or something. He said, a motorboat, and I'm going to get myself a new fishing pole, and I'm going to start fishing again. He said, I used to really love that. I just never could do it. One of the things I'm looking to do now, I'm getting back in shape, is go play some basketball again. I won't go full court like I did, but I'm going to go shoot some hoops, you know, And because once you start feeling healthier. So I think another part of retirement is make sure that you're staying healthy. Because, Gary, it seems like you can get going and go, go, go. You're a go, go, goer. If you're like, you know, morbidly obese or really have a lot of health issues, when you're retired, you're not, you're going to go right to the nursing home or an assisted living instead of really enjoying your retirement. And the money that you save is going to go to something like that, which then oh, leads totally. to, yeah. 
Hey, and Neil, you, you hit a great point. You know, part of the book, you know, I, I, I'm not a doctor, I'm not any of those things, but staying in shape is critically important. Paying attention and, and you know, I have a guy that, this is a bizarre story. He's retiring and I asked him and he's plenty of money and a very successful guy. And I said, what are you gonna do? He said, binge watch TV. And I said, no, really, what are you gonna do? He said, oh no, that's what I'm gonna do. He said, I have all these shows I never got to watch and I'm gonna binge watch TV. And, and I looked at him and I said, you know, that's great in the winter. I said, but it's not really a good summer activity. And he said, oh, no, this is what I've really been planning on. And he said, I have all these shows that I want to watch. And I said, you have to get off the couch and do something. You're not going to. Plus, he likes to eat. And I said, this is not oh, going to no. be a good formula. Oh, no. This guy's probably put on 20 pounds already. And he's watched the entire NCIS series. I don't know what he's on next, but he's chipping <laughs> these things out. And his idea of retirement was going to basically, he's going to, I don't know what he's going to do, but isn't going to be good, Neil. I mean, you can already tell. Oh, you know, it's each his own, but that's the thing. He has to figure it out a way that he can use that passion in a way to, to get out and do things. So that's the thing that we all think about is what we love. We can, can create that in writing a book. Then he goes out and does book tours, just writing about binge watching TV, you know, uh, streaming channels. There's so many things we can create a product to do, enjoy our lives and do stuff that we love about sports. My gosh, you know, traveling. And I know you're a huge sports fan, you know, going to all the ballparks or, you know, going to football games, those experiences or ones you'll never forget. And if people missed out on it, there's a guy I talked to, a colleague of mine, he literally told me, Gary, and this is really sad. I, once I started my business, I stopped going to football games. The last time I've gone to football games, this is my set in the 1970s. They were so focused on their business. That's sad because I mean, I, I in the last 10 months have been really busy with things and I didn't get to watch as many Steeler games as I did last year. And I'm like, okay, I have to make it a point to start watching the Steelers again. And so it's, and then going to these events and going to these things, COVID really hurt us and with putting more packed pounds on, it's like now the focus is people that read your book is say, okay, what I lost in COVID, not being able to see people, I need to really get back to doing those things. Yeah. And it's huge. Well, it's funny. I, I'm a concert guy. I, if you gave me a choice of anything I would enjoy, it would be the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians or going to concerts. Those are the two things I really like to do. And both of them got hammered because of the virus. And now music's really coming back. And, and we've been seeing shows. We started ramping that up. And we have one next week we're going to go to and one the week after. And, you know, I've been picking my spots, but we're going to catch... Yeah, probably four or five bands before the summer's over. And I'm excited about that because that's something that I just thoroughly enjoy. I can just sit down, listen to music, and I go somewhere in my brain, and it's a great place I go. Okay, so for people, I love the part in your book about wish lists. Okay, and I'm going to make it a point that I'm going to write down a wish list for myself uh, <laughs> of things I want to experience and do different things. One thing is I want to cover the Super Bowl. I definitely want to cover the Super Bowl with my media, the Neil Haley Show. Again, the number 12 celebrity podcast in the world, according to Feedspot. We have 150 stations syndicated. A lot of this stuff was a more of not a business idea. It was something I was passionate about and loved, and I made it into a business. So what I would say to you is, what would be your recommendation for somebody who wanted to create a wish list today? Because I think people listening in their 30s, their 20s, their 40s, they need to do this. Millennials are really big about experiences. So they're going to have, we're going to have a lot more that are going for retirement at one point, Gary, they're going to really understand you more because that is the new generation. It's all about experiences. It's not, it's about how they experience things. It's not about just doing it. So oh, what, what, what wish list would you recommend people to how to get started today on the wish list? Well, I, I'll give you something I did and added to mine yesterday. I was looking at something and I said, okay, I've always wanted to see the zombies and they've been around and I just never made an effort to go see them. They're, they're as old as I am, but they're a really good band. They're a hall of fame band. And I said, I am going to make a point wherever those guys are, whether it's Pittsburgh, Cleveland, I'm going to absolutely make a point to go see a show of theirs because they're really good. And, and the thing is, that was a yesterday edition, but I looked in and I looked on my wish list. I have, an, I have a wish list from about 15 years ago. There's a golf course out in, in Oregon called Bandon Dunes that's an amazing golf course. 
uh, one of the most pretty places I've ever been. And I told my wife about it. I said, listen, the golf was brutal, but the course was incredible. The scenery is incredible. I said, one of these days we will go to Bandon Dunes and play golf. Haven't done that yet, but I looked at that and I said, that was 15 years ago. I have another one. I've never been on a private yacht. I don't know anyone that owns a private yacht, but one of these days I want to meet someone and go on their private yacht and just say, oh, this is cool because it was on my list. So, you know, it's just stuff like that, Neil, and, and things that just, I, you know, I, I have this deal. I want to go to the Canadian capitals. I, I've, always, I've never been to Montreal. Now, Canada right now is not a good place to go, yeah. but eventually it will be. And what it is, I'm heading there. So I just kept, I just tell people, write down anything that pops in your brain. Nothing is off the charts. Nothing's off the table until you get there. And then you may say, yeah, I don't want to do an African safari. I'm too old to do that. Or maybe you're not, and you just go do it. Those are the things I try and do. I try and encourage people just write everything down because no one's going to grade you. There are no grades in this deal. You either write it down or you don't write it down. And if you write it down and cross it out, so what? I think that's great. And as we all know, when we put things on paper, it's more likely to be a reality than if we keep it in our head. Or if Absolutely. we put it here, even when we type it up, you need to put it down in a notebook. Do you, is your wish list a notebook, Gary, or is it type? Yeah, it's actually a wish list notebook, yeah. And it's so funny because I just converted. I had one online, and I like paper better than online. So I, I'm just in the process of converting, crossing things out, and starting a new one. So it's uh, it's kind of funny when you look at my wish list, Neil. It is a mess, but it's kind of cool, and I have it in my brain what works. So Yeah, so people that are definitely following him on social media, that's something to ask is, what, what, what would you wish to do? What was the most biggest thing that you'd like to wish for? And that's something that you talk about in your community is because really, and people can join that Facebook community of how to retire and not die. And they can check you out and purchase your book where, Gary? Because this is great. Um, the conversation on the wish list. Love to have you back to talk more subjects about the book or other things and planning for retirement. But where's the best place we can connect with you? Actually, GarySirac.com. If you want to buy a book through there, I'll actually sign it and personalize it for you. Or you certainly can go to Amazon and pick it up there or any of the bookstores. All of them have the ability to order the book and, and they do. So it's been, uh, it's been very successful so far, Neil. Well, you are making me motivated. I am going to take 15 minutes to start writing down a wish list of places I want to cover. And that's uh, the Super Bowl will be one. The NBA finals will be another, all these different ones. And then make it a point to go out and reach out. And then what celebrities I want to interview next. I interview major celebrities as I know, because I'm very well known as a celebrity, but I, a uh, podcaster, who is the next one? If you had a wish list of a celebrity you'd interview, Gary, who would it be? <laughs> wow. I, I think Malcolm Gladwell is amazing. He's a writer. And he is just a phenomenal journalist. And I love, I love listening to him. I love reading his books. It would be fun just to talk to that man because he's so good at what he does. And he gets into things and he, he does great detail stories. So I like him. Um, I, I think Clive, uh, I'm going to say, um, the Jack Reacher author, uh, Lee Child. Mm -hmm. be fascinating to talk to him how he comes up with his stories i mean i i go right to those author guys because i just am john grisham what what an ability jk rowling i mean all these people have such amazing imaginations i i would love to tap into how they actually do what they do it's amazing that's what I, the stories i get to just interview people even like yourself or major celebrities that literally i get the opportunity to learn something every day and that's part of what well, I'll continue to do this when I retire, whenever that will be. But I am through Gary's help and learning from reading his book. I know, guys, trust me, it's going to hit you before you know it, especially if you're sitting here listening to this or watching this. And trust me, get it, pick up Gary's book today and, and create that wish list today. So I appreciate you stopping by, Gary. I appreciate it. Neil, pleasure. Great, right. to, great to see you again. Take yes. care. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO in Reflection. I'm Marisa Jones, and I'm welcome with my co-host, Neil Haley. 
Today, we have a really fascinating guest in the world of finance. Uh, Kelly Monkey has served as the CFO and Assistant Executive Director of Finance for USA Hockey, as well as Assistant Treasurer of the USA Hockey Foundation since January of 2019, and has more than 20 years of experience in finance, business, leadership, and healthcare. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you, Marissa and Neil. Thrilled to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. It's great to have you here. Um, so let's talk about your journey in finance. Um, what You've been a CFO in several corporations and, and for a long time. What drove you to the financial uh, world and um, you know what keeps you interested and captivated about it? Well, it's an interesting question. I, um, in terms of my uh, degree, I've always been interested in finance and economics and business. And so I have a, I majored in economics in college. So I've always been interested in that. But when you go to a liberal arts college, a lot of times you're really kind of finding your way in terms of what do you want to do? And, and you know, what are you going to enjoy doing? Where can you make an impact? And, and where do you want to be eventually? So things play out interestingly. I've done a lot of different things and had an opportunity to do a number of different things, primarily in finance, but also early in my career in sales and business development. So that's kind of a unique, uh, a unique um, uh, combination, if you will, which actually has served me quite well. One of the things that really helped me to determine what I wanted to do is I had a colleague ask me, he said, well, what do you really enjoy doing? If you really consider your day to day, if you could scope out your day and plan your day, what do you really enjoy doing? And I found that to be really integral and in my development and in my journey in my career. And I really do enjoy the finance aspect, looking at the strategic direction of businesses and finance and how that fits in and how you can really help propel a company forward to meet the strategic goals and direction of the organization. That's fantastic. That, that process, once you figure it out, makes life easier, right? Once you're figuring out the process and systems, put it together. You got it. That's more than half the battle. <laughs> yes, and there's a lot of processes in, in finance for sure. Um, so so what, what most people in my career know me as is I um, have led multi-million dollar financial system implementations. That's my background. And so I understand the world of finance and it can be grueling. I mean, it is monthly cycles, learning new um, uh, SEC policies and, and financial, you know, external stakeholder requirements and so forth. And it can be really challenging because as soon as you think you get a break, next month comes up, the next cycle comes up, the next quarter comes up and you're starting all over again. Um, what do you do to maintain balance um, within the chaos of that type of organization? Well, it's uh, interesting. I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off what you just said about how quickly things change. And some people see finance as, well, you know, math is the same as it was when I was in first grade and it just really never changes. But with the SEC guidelines and now ESG becoming extremely important in terms of what finance professionals are focused on and the reporting, it's just constantly evolving and finance is becoming more and more involved in different facets of the business. In terms of trying to keep balanced, I wouldn't say I do a great job of keeping balanced. Um, I love what I do, and so I spend a lot of time and resources focused on that. And I think that is key, really, to finding out what you like to do during your day. And it enables you to really enjoy what you're doing and spend a lot of time and energy on it. I think um, that piece of really finding what you want to do can be important because depending upon where you want to go and how you want to prioritize things, uh, you really have to spend an inordinate amount of time on the on the key areas, the key levers that are going to drive you forward in your career. And that's what I found to be helpful. But in terms of balancing, um, I don't do it extremely well. Uh, I do like to play hockey still a little bit. And so that is certainly a lot of fun. And I think the other piece that's really important that I've found even progressing more in my career is having good uh, support and connections and relationships. And oftentimes it can be a little bit of a solid solitary role in, uh, you know, as a CFO or a CEO. And a lot of times you don't necessarily get the support that you did when you were a VP or when you were a manager or a director. 
And so I find having that support system of like-minded people. So for example, you've probably experienced this, you and Neil, you have other CEOs that you collaborate with and that you can bounce ideas off of and um, sometimes commiserate with. I think that piece is incredibly important to have a really good support system outside of your career and outside of your day-to-day that really helps balance things um, in your personal and professional life. I mean, getting the bounce those ideas off of people regarding your professional or personal life that are important to have people to communicate. And that's how, how what helps your mental health is being able to, you know, explain what happened during de- your day, having those conversations about home life or work. And so that's the challenge is finding the right people to surround yourself with. Exactly. Couldn't be more important. That's, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So as leaders, we tend to take on the brunt of all of the extra chaos, right? We're okay with sacrificing our personal health sometimes or mental health sometimes. As a leader, how do you encourage your teams uh, within the chaos? How do you encourage them to make sure that they have uh, some type of balance or support in their life? Mm. I think two things. One is anytime you're in a leadership position, everybody's watching. They're watching to see how you handle stress. They're watching to see if you're in a good mood, a bad mood, if you're level-headed, if you're even keeled. They're looking to really see how leaders in the organization carry themselves, how they respond to things, how, they, um, how they're proactive about different things. So I think that piece is really um, magnified as a leader because people are looking more so at leaders to see, you know, get a feel for what's really going on or, you know, trying to read into things. So I think that piece is really important is to how you manage yourself, because you're not just a leader in the organization, but you're leading the way too, in terms of how people are looking at you and how you're behaving and acting. Um, The other thing that's very similar to that is you need to be able to do things that are good for your own mental health. One of the big ones is vacation and it gives permission in a, in a esoteric way to everybody else in the organization. If you take your vacation, if you're not working every night till 10, 11 o'clock, if you're not the first one in the office, all of those things are probably important at a, at a point in your career, but it's important too, that you lead the way with balance and taking time off and supporting mental health and supporting things like that. When you see your teammates that might be really struggling, how do you help support them? Um, one of the things that really attracted me to this interview is the mental health component because so much of what we do, everything in life is impacted by your mental health. And so mental health not just impacts the individual, but it impacts their families, even furthermore, the communities. And so it just is really far reaching, and especially with COVID-19 and all of the challenges that people are having, you know, I'm on the board with our EAP and we're just seeing things, you know, with suicides and domestic violence and substance abuse and mental health, all of those comorbidities, you know, we're seeing a lot of that really on the rise, which is an integral integral time to really step back and say, okay, how do we support ourselves? How do we support our employees, our staff, our volunteers? How do we really work together to, to support each other in that. Because yes, there's a financial component to that, right? With mental health, people are out of work a lot more and it's very expensive, but more so, how do you support the people that you work with? And it's very far reaching the mental health component of that. And that's the thing that gets people, especially with, as you talked about COVID working remote sometimes, family issues dealing with COVID or different types of dynamics, you have to really understand your employees and be able to really develop a personal relationship with them. Don't just treat them as they're to do a job. They have a personal life. They have a, they have the happiness that they need to have at work. And you have to really understand that and be empathetic, right? Absolutely. And one other piece to add on to that is sometimes, unfortunately, I've worked with three people that have committed suicide, not here, but in the past. And sometimes it's so surprising. It's the happiest people that present themselves in that are so happy and on top of the world and everything is going great. And you have to also not only pay attention to the people that you can see might be struggling, but also the people that may seem like they have under everything under control. And um, sometimes it's really hard to read that. So yes, such an important time right now with people being remote. And sometimes you don't have that face-to-face interaction. 
And so it's more difficult to read that, but really to, to realize that people could be struggling, whether you see it or you don't, and to really be a little bit more empathetic to everyone. And that's a big reason why I, I, I'm doing what I'm doing now was because I was one of them. I was one of those individuals where, you know, in 2010, I hit my mental health rock bottom while my career was skyrocketing. And I was so ashamed to talk about it. And I was falling apart. And every night I was drinking, I had suicidal thoughts, I had severe PTSD, and I was going down downhill fast. And I was so ashamed and I didn't want to talk about it. And so when I, st when I published my memoir, um, two years, uh, in 2019, um, it was amazing how many people came forward with, with similar stories and, and they were like, you know, I'm an alcoholic. Nobody here at work knows about it. And, but they were telling me, right. They were telling me all these things that were happening behind closed doors. And, you know, I still get that people read my book and they call me up and say, I need to talk to you. No one knows what's going on. And, um, we harbor that. And it's really hard because you know, reaching out to get someone to admit that they need help, especially in the professional uh, environment, it's really hard because I was always concerned, I'm gonna lose my job, I'm gonna lose my kids, I'm gonna lose everything, right? Um, because I was being vulnerable. And so what advice would you give for your employees as to how to become vulnerable and ask for help without fear of losing their jobs? Mm. Well, first, let me say, I'm sorry that you went through that. That's, um, you never want anybody to go through that. That's a very challenging time. And the fact that you can turn that into an opportunity to be vulnerable and to help other people is really uh, uh, important in, in what we're doing. And in, 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 I say we're doing, but, you know, in terms of anything we're doing to help it, help it take the shame away and enable people to be able to talk about it and take the stigma away is really important. So that's a big step. Um, I think that creating a culture that of a more open culture and non-judgmental culture and leading the way by being able to be vulnerable with your team, with your employees, with your, um, with your co your counterparts, with your boss, I think it has to really start from the top and creating a culture of vulnerability and trust, because you can't really have vulnerability without the trust piece. And so really creating that environment, I think, is extremely important. And it starts with one person. And, um, you know, once that one person takes the lead, it creates an environment that is it's, it's safer and takes away some of the shame to be able to support people that are struggling with things like the advice that that um, women such as yourself coming on the show is so valuable and getting your time. I just really appreciate um, you being on the show, Kelly. Um, what advice would you give to other women who are trying to achieve su success as a CFO or a CEO such as yourself? One of the things that I would recommend is it's important to know what you want. And sometimes you get what you want and it doesn't turn out to make you feel the way you thought it would make you feel. And so I think getting back to that piece about what really brings you joy and um, in your day-to-day -day career, what brings you joy and what brings you um, energy to your life, I think is really important. And then prioritizing those things while at the same time having the balance and maintaining great social relationships and uh, things that keep you balanced outside of work as well. I would say those are probably three pieces that are pretty important. Great advice. Thank you so much. Um, Neil, do you have anything else before we wrap no, it up? No, not at all. No, uh, we're ready. That was great information. Wow. A lot of good good stuff on mental health and especially business. Okay. Absolutely. Well, thank you both very much. It's been my pleasure and um, I appreciate the invitation and anything I can do to help, uh, I'd be happy to. Fantastic. Thank you. This has been a, a great interview. Um, thanks for joining the show. And I just want to add one more thing before we close it up. Finance data is fun. <laughs> it really is. It's fun. So just I didn't hear you. Finance data is fun. <laughs> thank, thank you, everyone. Have a, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior: The Art of Intention.